You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World Show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mickich. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World Podcast. This is our first episode launching under the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. My name is Luke, and I'm your host today, introducing an amazing conversation I just had with the one and the only Greg Foss. Now, for anyone who doesn't know Foss, um, he didn't really get into his background much in today's chat, but he's got 30 years of experience in the legacy financial uh, markets, trading risk and credit, and he brings an absolute wealth of knowledge to the Bitcoin space. We talked about a bunch of different topics today. We touched on Evergram, we touched on debt, we touched on why Greg thinks Bitcoin hits $2 million by 2030, and uh, he's done so many different podcasts. I wanted to bring something new to the chat for you guys today, and we looked at a bunch of different charts. Um, so if you guys are listening in on the Apple Podcasts and you want to look at the charts that we're discussing and talking about in today's interview this one will be posted over on youtube Uh, now for anyone who's new thank you so much for watching the show Uh, feel free to like and subscribe Corey and i are going to be punching out a lot of new content in the coming weeks Uh, so i really hope you enjoy this one and before we get into it i'd love to thank today's sponsor who is coinbeast do you have any questions about bitcoin Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin Pro on Coinbase Connect. Learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, DeFi, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro, select a date when you're available, and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbase.com and clicking on the Connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. Um, so firstly, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of having Greg Foss on the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast and the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast. Uh, firstly, Greg, uh, you are in high demand of late. I have seen you. I think you've done probably the most podcasts in the Bitcoin space that I've seen anyone else do. So firstly, Greg, uh, how do you have the time for them all? So I'm, um, it's great to be here. This is funny, right? Um, I need you guys to understand I'm 58 years old. I don't, I, I, I can't quite grasp the, uh, how, how, how um, I guess what I want to say is I'm, uh, uh, I'm very humbled by being in demand. All right. So whatever I can do to help out the Bitcoin community, I'm going to do that because I have 58 years of experience that I'm not saying that's good experience. I'll just tell you, I have 58 years of experience that I'm, I, I really want to share with the younger generation because there's some screwed up stuff that's going on in the world right now. No, I couldn't agree more, mate. And uh, your experience at this particular time in history um, is certainly something the younger generation needs to hear. So maybe for anyone who hasn't seen any of your previous podcasts who, or doesn't know who you are, maybe you can give us a little bit of a background about yourself and where you got started in uh, traditional finance and uh, how it led you to Bitcoin. Sure. Um, well, I'm a Canadian. Um, I graduated from engineering when in 1986 and I'm hoping there's a ton of your listeners who weren't even alive in 1986. Okay. So I graduated from engineering at McGill. It's a, it's a great school. It's based in Montreal, Canada. And, um, that's my hometown by the way. And I went to McGill for four years in engineering, but honestly, I knew I didn't want to be an engineer. Um, I love the challenge of the mathematics side of it. I was okay at the math. There were some wicked, way smarter people, men and women than I was, but um, some of them, you know, some of them are just too smart. Um, Anyway, long story short, I knew I didn't want to be an engineer. I decided I wanted to go uh, into the business uh, area and I took the opportunity to go to a school in upstate New York. It was an Ivy League institution, which by American standards is a, you know, it's a, it's a a blue check. I'm not saying there's anything great about Ivy League institutions relative to the other uh, uh, opportunities out there for people, but 
I was so lucky to go to school with some amazing, amazing Americans. Um, and that was in 1988. And my gosh, that's a long time ago, right? So that's when I got the start in my financial career. And since 1988, I've been a uh, I've been in I've been a student of the financial markets. I've been a risk trader for th- over 30 years in the financial markets. And uh, I'd love to share my story, but I, I don't want to dominate your uh, your podcast. So um, yeah, that's where I am. Uh, 30. Let's do some math here. Over 30 years ago, 33 years ago, I graduated from school forever and I started in the financial markets and I've seen some crises and they they keep getting bigger. Financial market crises continue to get bigger and maybe it's time for guys like me to shout out the reality of the world that, uh, hey, there's there's a... pattern here. And the pattern is governments continue to kick the can down the road and we need to call them out. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And we thank you for it, Greg, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people, um, a lot of us are suffering from, I suppose, recency bias. We've never seen um, a great depression or the conclusion of a long-term debt cycle. Um, and a lot of people are unaware of just how bad things could be um, and you always say, uh, well, a lot of the Bitcoiners always say it is mathematically impossible that the fiat Ponzi continues. And I love all those quotes you dropped in your paper. It's amazing. But uh, for me personally, I, I heard you run through the math of how the global debt is impossible to pay back a few times on the podcast. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. That's right. That's about right. But it wasn't until I actually uh, visualized the math and had a look at it um, that it, it really clicked and I had like a kind of epiphany. So for anyone listening on the podcast, uh, for this certain section of the, of the uh, episode, tune into the YouTube because we're looking at uh, an equation that uh, Greg has, uh, I suppose, uh, pioneered or, or made, I suppose, Greg. Um, you, you were the first person I heard uh, talk about how it is impossible for us to actually outgrow a debt to GDP ratio of what four to one, four hundred percent. So maybe just talk us through the two equations we have um, up on screen for the for the listeners. Wow. So Luke, uh, how about I throw this back in your uh, camp? Um, I'm going to estimate that you are what like. Uh, uh, don't don't let me insult you, but what? Go on, do 20- it. 24? Are you 24? Oh, you actually nailed it. Hit, hit the nail on the head. Okay, buddy. Look, I'm so impressed that you're even doing this mathematics. Um, there's nothing more than grade 11 math in this. Uh, I don't need to walk anybody through this. You've laid it out beautifully. Um, very simply, if you bring a physics uh, uh, analysis to this, it is impossible for global growth to escape the debt spiral. You can never achieve escape velocity, okay? The the second derivative, which is acceleration of the debt spiral, and I don't want to get too granular with you guys, but maybe this is a chance for you to understand your 11th grade physics as to what it all means. Like, what does this mean? Very simply, Ladies and gentlemen, this means that we have passed the point of no return. You cannot escape the debt spiral. The debt will grow organically. The coupon on the debt is growing faster than the GDP has potential to grow. And you lay it out nicely in these screens. I can't do it any better. Well done. No, yeah, 100%. I think when you said it on a podcast that if you assume... Um, an average interest interest rate of 3% on the, what, $300 trillion global debt, that means GDP would have to grow at greater than 12% just to keep up with the growing debt, let, a, let alone paying it back. And have, having a look, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a chart here as well for the listeners. I, I, look, you're, you're doing, this is absolutely beautiful. For someone, all I need to do is look at a chart for a second, right? 
Now, my, I spent my life 32 years trading financial markets. You need to make your mind up really quickly. But I'm not telling you people to make your mind up quickly. But I can look at this chart and I see what you are, um, what, what your message is. And uh, I really, really implore the listeners to do their own work. Um, gosh, it's so simple. And yet we get fed absolute balderdash from politicians, from armchair economists that live in endowed chairs at, you know, uh, universities around the world. These people cannot be trusted to tell the truth because they've never actually sat in a risk chair. They've ever, never sat in a chair where you've traded risk, where you are so nervous because you think the world is about to end. And these armchair quarterbacks are like, well, we'll just add a little bit more money to the system because, you know, we can print our way to prosperity. My goodness, it is so dangerous. So here we go. Uh, I love this one. I think you're going to come to credit without default is like religion without hell. Howard Marks is one of my most admired uh, participants in the financial markets. Howard Marks is a distressed debt investor based out of uh, California with it's just so much experience in the markets and you know, I just embrace the fact that you've even brought this up because I have not looked at these slides. Okay. No. I haven't looked at these slides. And Luke, so far, you're knocking the ball out of the park. So go ahead. No, I definitely surprised you. I, I said I was going to bring a couple of things along, but uh, Greg hasn't had any chance to prepare for uh, any of this, ladies and gentlemen. He's just uh, crushing it out of the park as he always does. But these quotes you dropped in your paper were really stood out to me. Um, uh, one of the ones you dropped yourself was, I'm certain MMTs have never traded credit and they also appear to be poor at math. And I think it's just, it's it's a hundred percent true. It's as if these MMTs don't look back at history and realize that all fiats collapse. Um, and I think you dropped another quote in your paper, uh, the Voltaire quote, uh, what the intrinsic value of paper money always trends to zero over, over time. And I just think it's important that people like yourself who have experience in the business call out these MMTs because it's an absolute clown show. Um, so, so, Luke, can I just, before you go any further, let me, let me applaud you for the work you're doing. I, I wasn't sure what age you, uh, you admitted you were, but how about we admit that you're pretty young compared to me? And I'm so impressed by the, the diligence and the, the study that you are uh, trying to um, uh, educate yourself and, and, and not within the Keynesian economic system that the, the universities promote, not within, I'm going to read a book by this professor, Stephanie Kelton, and I'm going to be way wiser because I read this book. My goodness, I, I, I'm so sad to say that just because you get your name on a novel or on a, on, a, on a publication does not mean you know what you're talking about. That lady has never once in her life actually put her, uh, how would we say it? How She's never put her own intellectual capital and actual financial capital on the line to trade in a market. And I'm afraid I just, I call that out. That is absolute armchair economics and it's very dangerous for our children. And I'm disgusted by the fact that she has an audience that believes they know what they're talking, that, that, that believes that they know what she is talking about. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, there's nothing scarier than a bunch of Keynesian economics uh, shouting out propaganda lines like deficits don't matter and debt doesn't matter. But um, I suppose, Greg, this gets us into, we had a look at the reason why everybody's so concerned about 
the whole Evergrande situation. The yes. debt bomb is mathematically impossible to pay back. So we're simply looking for any straws that may, you know, break the camel's back. Or or can I can I interrupt you there for one of my favorite Canadians, and I am Canadian, uh, but my favorite Canadian, uh, uh, Jeff Booth, his expression from a Canadian perspective is, you never know which snowflake causes the avalanche, right? You never know. All it takes is that one last snowflake, Luke, and that's it. So go, sorry to interrupt. No, don't be silly. That, that was a beauty. Um, and Jeff Boop's amazing. And for anyone who hasn't read the book, The Prize of Tomorrow, go and read it. It's an absolute ripper. Um, but, um, so we looked at, so maybe walk us through the Evergrande situation. You wrote a really good, uh, kind of bite-sized paper in Bitcoin magazine the other day, uh, walking anyone through. So if anyone listening, I highly recommend you go and read that, uh, paper that Greg put out, uh, in Bitcoin magazine. But so maybe walk us through the whole Evergrande situation. And we also have a chart of, uh, the China's five-year um, CDS um, bond chart in front of us. Sure. So CDS, let's start with that. That stands, stands for credit default swap. And that, for your listeners, basically uh, is interpreted as the insurance. It, if you are a insurance buyer or seller, that is a chart of what the insurance premium is on a daily basis, meaning where insurance providers are offering and providing insurance on the potential default of China. Think of it as an open market calculation of what the risk of China defaulting is over the next X number of years. You can purchase this contract for five years. But think of it as a calculation. Okay, I purchased it for five years, but I'm looking out, you know, more than five years. The contract only exists for five years right now. It's an esoteric contract. I don't want to get into the granularity of it, but it's basically on your chart there. As the number goes higher, meaning as the spread increases, the cost of insuring Chinese debt increases, which means the riskiness or the perceived riskiness of Chinese debt or the Bank of China is increasing. Um, listen, Evergrande is a situation that could unfold in a, in a number of different ways. I will say this, at this point, I don't believe it is a Lehman Brothers event. I laid, I laid that out in my analysis in Bitcoin the Magazine. Um, it's not a Lehman Brothers event because the contagion in the system there's not that many counterparties that rely on Evergrande debt. And I'll, I'll make a caveat here. There's not that many caveat, uh, excuse me, there's not that many counterparties that we know of. And this is the danger when you get a system like the Com Chinese Communist Party, where they allow shadow banking and all this stuff to exist that, uh, you know, is not, um, uh, verifiable or it's not, uh, uh, well, it's shadowy. Um, let's just, let's say this. I lived the Lehman Brothers event. There was so much cross default concern in that event that I'm not saying it won't happen here, but it's hard for me to line up all the dominoes for it to happen here. It's going to happen in China. Okay. China is so pooched. It's not funny. China does exactly what you expect a closed system to do. It's going to implode. They are going to find ways to make it not implode, but they've been doing that for many, many hundreds of years. The best advice I can give to capitalists out there is to embrace systems that China has thrown away. China wants to be a centralized system. I think that their Bitcoin mining ban is a gift to the West, and I would embrace it. Uh, they'll probably send Chinese Communist Party police to my house uh, at this point. I'm okay with that. Listen, the funny thing is, over hundreds and thousands of years, capitalism works and communism doesn't. It's that simple.
Hundred uh, percent. Capitalism always outcompetes communism, and it's why it made America the greatest country of all time. It outcompeted all these inferior forms of governance. So we. But really they had do- some. They had some tailwinds, right? They had some Definitely. tailwinds. The petrodollar was a tailwind. That that being said, the United risk taking nation in the world. Are you kidding me? Where else in the world do you have Silicon Valley? Where else in the world do you have a guy that started Amazon.com in some sort of like cubicle and is developed into one of the most valuable uh, companies in the entire world? God bless capitalism. All right. Very simply. And to all you stupid effers out there that don't embrace creative destruction and you're too soft because you you don't want anything to get blown up in your face because you want to be coddled you know what you're wrong creative destruction and capitalism is the most beautiful creation of wealth that mankind has ever seen if you want to go the cap the communist route good luck to you i couldn't agree more mate um and i think um, I think watching which countries adopt Bitcoin could be a really good proxy of oh. could be the next superpower um, heading into the next kind of era. I mean, obviously, China's already played their hand. And they obviously don't want their country and their citizens to flourish mm. over the next coming centuries by banning freedom money, um, which is, I suppose, it's okay for the rest of the Western world. Um, if, if we adopt Bitcoin to oppose China, um, obviously, it's terrible for the Chinese citizens. And I really hope they can access Bitcoin in in some way, shape or form to protect themselves. But um, I think it's interesting watching countries jump off the fiat Ponzi and off the petrodollar system. I've pulled up a chart here of uh, Russian interest rates. And earlier this year, uh, Vlad Putin went to the Davos meeting and he essentially said, you know what, guys, I'm getting off the US dollar petrodollar system. And he's made a pretty good effort to dump all of his US dollar debt. And since then, I think they've also raised their interest rates to about six or 7%, which is uh, something the rest of the fiat Ponzi nations like the US and the European Union, they're not raising interest rates anytime soon. They There's- can't, they cannot. So exactly. good on you. Yeah, no. And I was just, I was, you always talk about uh, Russia and the energy market. You, you're pretty uh, well in tuned with the energy market, Greg. So maybe you can give us some insights of what you're doing with the, in the energy markets and what kind of countries do you think uh, could potentially be looking to, uh, in the future, back their um, precious commodities in Bitcoin? But, but here's the neat thing, man. I just, I just can't tell you how flattered I am that you've done this amount of research on who I am, but also in my thought process. So, uh, man, I, I, I got to take this moment to call you out once again, Luke. You are a absolute uh, inspiration for me as, a, as an old generation uh, boomer that uh, you're doing this amount of work at your age uh, really, really is aspiring. So, no, okay. it's, the other, it's the other way around, mate. You're the inspiration to us. We actually get to learn from people who's, who've yeah, been but, in the trenches. But at so. least you're taking the time to do it. And that's what I'm trying to say, right? Um, so, so here's what I know. Validus power in Canada is absolutely one of the most exciting projects I've ever been involved in. Uh, Why is that? Basically because Bitcoin miners are the marginal consumers of energy in the world. And as a marginal consumer of energy, you basically set the, if you remember your economics and, you know, all those little graphs and everything like that, you set price for uh, all the consumers. And that's very valuable because I believe that Bitcoin can actually make the energy grid so more, so much more efficient. It can actually green the environment. You get all these fudsters and these intellectually lazy people that are saying, oh my gosh, Bitcoin's using more energy than small countries in the world. And it's no disrespect to the small countries of the world, but come on, 
Bitcoin's more important than a lot of these small countries in the world. And I'll just tell you that from an energy perspective and from an engineer, this is so exciting because you can use wasted energy resources, which exists almost double the amount of energy that the world consumes. So twice as much energy as the world consumes, one half of it is wasted and one half of it the world consumes. Gosh, I, I just, as a guy that, you know, values efficacy and efficiencies, it's disgraceful that we are just flaring some hydrocarbons or letting turbines on a reservoir, uh, uh, hydroelectric dam turn without using the power that's generated by uh, the first law of thermodynamics, the, the, the rule of conservation of energy. So it's an education process, Luke, um, and Validus Power is on the cusp of that. And I don't want to get too much into why I think that we're doing great things to help the world because we're just one of a very small amount of companies that are doing or uh, pursue a similar goal. The bigger picture, very simply, you, you brought up Vlad Putin. Wow. You know, the world is in a friendly place. And if I'm Vlad Putin and I'm selling valuable natural resources for U.S. dollar fiat, I better question myself. I'm selling a store of energy for a guaranteed, in, in return, you get a fiat payment guaranteed to debase. How does that work? That's a pretty silly trade, isn't it? You're selling something that is over time and space, which is in the ground, natural resource energy. You're going to sell that for fiat dollars, which are guaranteed to debase. If you're Mr. Putin, you got to be thinking, well, first of all, I don't love the United States, which I'm not telling him that he needs to love the United States. I'm just telling him it is what it is. He might be looking for alternative payment mechanisms. And as an engineer, and I'm not advising uh, the, the government of Russia, but as an engineer, I'm just telling you, if you're selling natural resource energy for anything other than digital energy, which is Bitcoin, I think you're missing the boat. I think you failed your grade 11 physics. First law of thermodynamics, the rule of conservation of energy. And if Putin's going to do it, I'm going to tell you that all other marginal producers of energy in the world, which are not in the OPEC uh what will we call them the opec well we'll just call them they're not in opec um i would think they might be thinking wisely to ask for their payments in bitcoin again you can sell natural resource energy and put it into digital energy that should but not should it will accrete value over time and space you put it into fiat money and you're guaranteed to lose. That's not an engineering solution. That's a solution for idiots. I couldn't agree more, mate. Um, you got me a little bit excited there when you talk, when you were talking about value because some of your moon math on Bitcoin and where you think it could go in the coming years is uh, pretty amazing. And I have used some of your calculations to orange pill some friends and family uh, because okay. it, when, when you put your math out there, they seem to like it a lot better than when I throw my crazy math out there. So maybe you tell us a little bit about the $900 trillion worth of money out there and how, how, how you think Bitcoin will interact with that over the coming years. Man, oh man. Uh, your parents should be very proud of the uh, intellectual curiosity that they have uh, uh, brought up in a young man like yourself. All right. So uh, thank you for asking the question. Uh, I, I'm pretty simple. Uh, I've traded risk markets for over 30 years 
And I try and break things down really simply because it, it, it's important to get it simply in your mind, but it's important to sell it, sell it on that basis to people who may invest money in my, uh, my thought process. Now, I don't do that anymore. I retired from the money management business over five years ago. I'm happy that I retired, but my brain still works in the same way. So I try and break things down pretty simply. I try and break it down to ways that uh, 90% of the world can understand. And so you asked me to break out my Bitcoin target price, and I think, right? So here's what we're going to start with. The total addressable market for Bitcoin, in my opinion, but backed up by statistics from places like the Institute of International Finance, is what is the total value of all assets, financial assets in the world today measured in US dollars? So it doesn't matter if you have real estate in Sweden, if you have bonds in China, you convert that all to US dollar equivalents and you come out with a total addressable market of which I calculated using statistics from the Institute of International Finance of right around $900 trillion. And I, it's almost, almost laughable that I, 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 I spew that number as if it doesn't matter, but I'll get back to that. So let's assume that number is right. 900 trillion US dollars, which is real estate, it's bonds, it's equities, it's commodities, it's currencies, it's stores of value or perceived stores of value that uh, represent what the total asset size of the market is in the world. So I take the other side of the coin and I say, what if our argument about Bitcoin becoming the world reserve asset because energy is priced in Bitcoin? What is the potential of Bitcoin to it? not attack, but basically to gain market share of that $900 trillion global asset pie. And I start with a pretty small number. I'm like, well, how about FOSS? How about if you start with 5% of that whole asset pie? And I say, yeah, 5% is pretty low, but let's see what that number dictates as a value of Bitcoin. And let's run through the math, math really quickly. 900 trillion times 5% is $45 trillion. $45 trillion divided by 21 million Bitcoin that will exist forever and ever comes to a value in today's dollars. And I need to pound this into your head. In today's dollars, Luke, of over $2 million of Bitcoin. And I'm like, golly, this is the best asymmetric trade opportunity I have ever seen in my life as a risk manager. And I'm not guaranteeing you, you need to understand, I'm not guaranteeing you that this is going to be the outcome, but I'm telling you, the potential for this to be the outcome is so exciting to me that I advocate everybody needs some exposure to this potential outcome. Is that fair? That's very fair. <laughs> I, think, I think that's more than fair. I, I think in your paper, you say it's riskier if you don't hold any Bitcoin than if you if you what fifty or one hundred percent all in Bitcoin because yeah no let's not go that far I go to a number if you own zero Bitcoin you're more at risk than if you have a proper portfolio allocation and I don't advocate going to the other extreme okay mm -hmm. and I'll be very honest with the listeners here my Bitcoin exposure is probably around. 30%. And I don't calculate it on a daily basis. And it doesn't keep me up on a nightly basis. I'll just tell you that the way I allocate, allocate my risk silos, I'm comfortable with up to 30% of Bitcoin in my net worth. 
Uh, please don't jump to 30% without doing your homework. But I will tell you this. With blindly, I'm going to tell you this. If you own zero Bitcoin, you're more at risk than if you own a proper allocation to Bitcoin according to your risk profile. Does that mean 3% Bitcoin? Does that mean 33% Bitcoin? I doubt it means 33, but I promise you it means at least 3% Bitcoin. And what happens is people, Luke, they put 3% of the net worth in Bitcoin. And it's like they forget what the other 97% of their portfolio is doing, right? It's like, oh my God, I just invested in this thing. It can go up and down. It's like, it can be banned. It can be everything. Will you guys fuck off? Okay. This is about allocating risk across an entire portfolio. And if you can't turn off that little switch because you're looking at 3% of your portfolio, you shouldn't be managing your own money. You need to go out and get a professional manager who's not psycho like you are. Sit down and understand what 3% of your portfolio actually means. This is great advice. If you're not smart enough to do it, please do it for your children. And risk allocations is a very difficult thing to do. I lived it for 30 years, okay? It's not easy. And if you can't do it, give it to somebody who can do it properly. I couldn't agree more. I think that's sound advice personally. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of people, I like how you took a conservative estimate. If Bitcoin only gets 5% of those global assets, look, it's 50,000 today. It has the potential to go to what, 2 million. And because a lot of people look at the $50,000 ticker price and they watch it go up and down by $10,000 a day and they don't know what's going on. But I think, like you said, people need to zoom out. This is insurance on the Fiat Ponzi and you don't touch it for five years, 10 years. It's for your kids. Like I've got my Bitcoin stack, 80% of it. Like I'm goddamn 24. I don't even have a miss. Yeah, let well, you're kids. allowed to because you don't have, you don't have kids, right? Like this is all good. Like if you blow up, that's fine. Yeah. You're not ruining anyone else's life. You're allowed to blow up and plenty of young, smart kids blow up before they make it rich. That being said, I'm telling you, this is not a blow up trade. This is the reverse. This is the ability to buy something now. It's actually cheaper today. And I've been in it for five years. It's cheaper today on a risk adjusted basis than when I got involved in Bitcoin five years ago. I don't need to discuss the price. I'm just going to tell you from a risk versus return potential, Bitcoin offers better upside potential on a probability weighted basis today than it did five years ago. Don't look in the rearview mirror. Understand what's going on in the world today. Understand that we have these knuckleheads in Congress, in the Senate, in the U.S. that are playing, you know, default poker as if they understand what the repercussions would be. This is absolute insanity. And I don't want to bring my children up in a world that is hostage to these armchair quarterbacks and these hubris-filled politicians that have no idea what's going on in true risk markets. I couldn't agree more, mate. Uh, Bitcoin's for the kids, and thank God we've got it uh, for our future and our kids' future. Um, I think a big reason why Bitcoin has been significantly de-risked over the past three, four, and five years is because of the actors coming into the Bitcoin space at the yeah. moment. I mean, we're watching nation states stack Bitcoin. Right. We're watching publicly traded companies are stacking Bitcoin on their balance sheet because they don't right. want to hold the melting fiat. I mean, that's, right. that's amazing. And I think in your paper, you were talking about there could be a potential Minsky moment for Bitcoin in its distant future. There could be a moment where it suddenly becomes a safe haven asset. I'm just wondering, Greg, how do you see that playing out over the maybe 
the next five or 10 years, do you think it's a gradual process of it going up to 2 million or do you think maybe, you know, a sell-off occurs and... Oh gosh, I don't know. And I, uh, one thing, one thing that markets will do to you in the short term is it will make you look like an idiot. Okay. So I'll give a price target without a time frame, or I'll give a time frame without a price target. So how about this? My time frame without a price target is over time, Bitcoin will go up. And that doesn't mean it can't go down in the interim. And if you're overthinking this because you have 3% of your portfolio in something that can go up and down meaningfully, do the math. What if 3% goes down by 20%? Oh my goodness, my portfolio lost 0.6 of 1%. Please, people, understand the mathematics. So the point is this. I'll give you a time without a target or, you know, a trend without a target, or I'll give you a target without a time. So 2 million is my target. It's going to happen within my lifetime, but if it's not within my lifetime, it'll happen within my kid's lifetime. Is that fair? I think that's very fair. Because I'm trying to pass along the value of my work and time and energy that I expended in markets it ex- I expended it working physical labor. Everything that, uh, you know, is measured in units of energy, I want to pass that to my children in the most efficient way possible. And Bitcoin is that medium for me. There's lots of non-engineers out there. You know, I'll tell you, mathematics runs the world. Very simply, mathematics is the base layer of language and Bitcoin is the purest way of transferring energy and time to my children. Don't have all of my wealth in Bitcoin. I could be wrong, but I feel pretty good about my bet right now. That's all I'm asking people to understand the probability distribution. Don't listen to these idiots like Michael Burry who try to change the market, or excuse me, trade the market. Don't listen to Peter Schiff. Don't, for God's sakes, listen to Steve Hankey, a conflicted, a conflicted, conflicted, conflicted senior citizen. And if you listen to Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, you know, have fun driving your tractor to work. Steve, uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are very valuable contrib- contributors to financial markets 20 years ago. It's over, guys. Stop trying to be predictors of the future. You're pathetic at it. And also, you're giving horrible advice to the, to the future uh, generations of our, of, of our world. And that's where it lives, right? It lives with you, Luke. It lives with uh, young kids like uh, Dylan LeClaire and Will Clement. Jack Maulers, my God, I could make the best political party in the world out of a group of 24 to 30-year-olds. And I'd be so happy to endorse that political party. I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of these older fellas just don't understand technology. Like your mate, Peter Schiff, and uh, what's his name? Um, Munger and Buffett. They they missed the best performing stocks over the past 10 or 20 years, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't buy Apple. They didn't buy Google. Schiff's fund, Euro-Pacific Capital, underperformed the S&P 500 for the past 20 years. And just because he called the 2008 global financial crisis, everybody treats his word as gospel. I think- I think, yeah, definitely, definitely. So this is not to disparage those people. They have an opinion. Opinions are valuable. What you need to understand, though, is intellectual laziness is the crime. It's not, in, it's not a crime to have an opinion. The crime is when you have done zero research on the criticism of your thesis. Okay? So Charlie Munger and... Uh, Warren Buffett will throw out this throwaway phrase like Bitcoin is rat poison without having done one iota of work on it. 
And then the flip side is you realize, why are they saying that? Well, because they own so many financial stocks that could be disintermediated by the adoption of Bitcoin around the world. They're conflicted. So it's very simple for them to say this. Don't attend Omaha, Nebraska, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett drivel. It's over. Those fuckers have fucked up. They are over. Look to the future, people. I don't want to disparage, but I guess I have their track record because they've done extremely well. But don't ask a 94 or 90 something year old man his opinion on technology. I'm sorry. It's irrelevant. I couldn't agree more. I, re I really couldn't agree more, mate. Um, I've, I've had you for probably about an hour now, Greg. So I want to be respectful of your time. Um, um, I'm here for you, but go ahead, whatever we want. Um, maybe, maybe I'll shoot one more question off at you. Um, a lot of people say that a lot of the money allocated to bonds, they have certain mandates. So they couldn't put yes. more than like a five or a 10% um, weighting into Bitcoin. I think recently, I think in Germany, I'm not sure if this one's 100% correct. So listeners, don't take this one at uh, face value. Make sure you go and verify this one. But I think German institutions or hedge funds are allowed to put 20% um, of their money into Bitcoin. I think there was a recent one in 2020, late 2020. Um, how do you see this evolving into the future? Do you think there'll always be mandates on banks and money managers where they can only put 5 or 10% into Bitcoin? Or do you see that maybe as number goes up, do you expect that maybe they'll be able to allocate a little bit more? Yeah. So interesting question. Um, so let's, let's start with how investment mandates are created to begin with in these big funds. They're created with a rear view mirror. Uh, a lot of these mandates were created when interest rates were double digit in the United States. So it's pretty easy to allocate 40% of your portfolio or your risk assets to bonds when bonds have a contractual return of let's say, you know, eight to 10%. And when I started trading Luke in 1988, that's exactly what the quintessential risk-free rate in the United States was US treasury 10 year rate was double digits. Okay, fast forward to today, it's 1.5%. I can guarantee you, and I need people to look me in the eye here, I can guarantee you with a 100% mathematical certainty, your 10-year return on a 10-year U.S. Treasury without default, so let's assume the, the catastrophic event does not happen, that the U.S. Treasury is still able to pay off their debts in 10 years, your 10-year return will be 1.5% per annum, because that's only mathematics. And all these bond managers out there will say, well, I can trade the market and I'm a guru. You can't. The market is the summation of all the people that part participate in it. Your total market return without default will be 1.5% per annum over the next 10 years. That ain't 10%, people. That's 1.5%. And if you have a targeted return in your pension fund of 8% per annum, well, you're starting way behind the finish line because your bond allocation ain't gonna live up to its expectations on a historical basis. That's, again, only math. I can run through that math six ways till Sunday. I've lived it for 32 years. Every single bond allocation out there today is foolish allocations, whether it's high yield, whether it's negative yielding European bonds. Have you ever heard of something so retarded in your whole lives as negative yielding European bonds, yet there's like $19 trillion allocated to that asset class. As a human being, I'm embarrassed for your stupidity. I'm truly embarrassed for your stupidity for not understanding how financial markets work. But 
enough of this. I, I, you know, I'm getting a lot, I actually not getting that much hate mail. I'm actually worried though, that my children are going to think I'm just an old codger. I am trying to promote the positive in this whole thing. The positive is you need to find other asset classes and bonds are not it. Okay. Bonds are a has-been. Bonds are a fiat contract that are programmed to debase even before your silly little 1.5% per annum return on the coupon. You're going to lose 10% per year. Uh, how about this? 8% per year on the debasement of the currency. Fellas and ladies and gentlemen, please start studying your bond math. It's that really was, embarrassing. It, it is. It is. Sorry to cut you off, but that's no, something um, That's something that I, I completely forgot to bring up. It was on the docket. Transitory inflation. Well, transitory. It, absolutely wild. Your bonds are paying you 1%. Your bonds in, in Europe, what are they paying you? Zero? Negative. Getting, yeah, yeah. Negative yeah. returns. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. Um, well, Luke, at least you understand the math. And here's what it comes down to, right? These are all returns before you consider the debasement of the currency. So it's highly likely if you lend the U.S. Treasury money for 10 years, you will ex you will receive your 1.5% annually over a 10-year, which doing a straight line mathematics, that means you get 15% in coupons, not including compounding, you get 1.5% times 10 years is 15%. I am 100% certain the value of the currency you lent at time zero, when you get it back in time 10, will be worth negative 30%. So you've successfully lent to earn a coupon of 15% and you've lost over 30%. Well done. Well done, you asset allocators. You are a bunch of donkeys. Okay. You're a bunch of donkeys. You have not done your math. I couldn't agree more. I'll go one step further and I'll call them asses, Greg. I think they're all a bunch of asses. That's an um, Australian saying. I can't go that far, but we'll go, we'll go with your saying. All right. I'll, I'll go for it. I'll go on the record and I'll call them all asses, mate. Um, boy. But I, I think, yeah, I think while we're on the transitory inflation and all the logical inconsistencies around then, um, probably a two-part question here. Um, this is probably a bit of a loaded one for the first question. Do you think it's transitory or do you think maybe it's the, maybe some warning signs? It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's over. Why are we splicing, you know, semantics? It's over. It is over for bondholders. Okay, please. You're trying to splice semantics. You're an idiot. It's over. Do your bond math. It doesn't matter whether it's transitory or not. It is over for an appropriate risk adjuster return on bonds. I couldn't agree more. And uh, thank God we got Bitcoin because that's the solution to the problem. Well, every single pension allocator that has above a zero allocation to bonds, which is just about everyone out there, you need to hold Bitcoin as portfolio insurance against this idiotic allocation to bonds that you have. And you can look at me and say, who is this knucklehead Canadian? And I'll just say a guy that spent 30 years in the pits, all right? A guy that has spent 30 years analyzing various risk return opportunities. And you might be some Wicked smart, whip start guy who's 27 years old that just came out of a big, you know, accredited uh, college somewhere in the world. I'll tell you, fuck yourself. You have no clue what you're talking about. I've lived it for 30 years. Pick, pick your poison. Some 27-year-old loser who thinks he knows how to allocate capital or a guy that's lived it for 30 years. I don't know. It, it's so dangerous, mate. It's so dangerous that these people like Paul Krugman are given PhDs. Uh, and disgraceful, disgraceful, <laughs> disgraceful individual and conflicted as the day is long. Couldn't agree more. The more people 
uh, we get like yourself who've been in the industry for 30 years and saying, hang on a minute, they're, they're blowing smoke up your ass. They're, they're telling you that the, the house the house is fine. Meanwhile, there's smoke coming out the back door. The house is on fire. Fiat's yeah. blown up. And uh, thank God we've got Bitcoin now. Greg, I suppose um, I'll give you a chance to have uh, give, us, give the viewers any kind of final final comments, final takeaways, or maybe yeah. some big picture uh, advice. Don't overthink stuff, you guys. Do not overthink stuff, okay? Uh, I will just say that when you go to, when you know you have heart problems and you go to a heart surgeon, you, don't, you do not tell them how to operate on your heart. When you have a problem with legal, you go to a lawyer and you do not tell them how to lawyer up your solution. That's why you put your money with experts. And what I'm trying to do here is tell people based on my experience and somewhat of an expertise that you are being fed bad advice. It's like being fed bad advice on your heart's surgery and you think you're a better heart surgeon than your doctor. You're not. Stop, people. Put the expertise in the hands of people that know how to manage risk. I'm afraid you may think you're smart, but you're not a heart surgeon, with all due respect to the heart surgeons out there, and you're not a lawyer. You need to understand that expertise is developed over time. Don't try and pretend you can be an F1 formula race driver and you've never driven a Honda Civic, okay? You people who have been given money because the government is giving you guys money, you're not expert investors. Don't fuck around. Give it to people who understand how to manage risk. And if you don't understand how to manage risk, you're going to lose all your money that the government just gifted you. Okay? This is not a solution where you try and print your way to prosperity and you're smarter than the heart surgeons in the room. I promise you're not. It's not the way the world works. And if you think you're smarter than the heart surgeons in the world, you got a world of hurt coming to you. Not because I want that to happen. That's just the way the markets work. Well, that's right. I mean, fiat currencies have blown up over 700 times in history. Many countries have tried to print their way to prosperity. Yeah. And I think it's very sound advice, Greg, that people need to really start looking at history, saying, hang on a minute, just because I've lived 50 years in the fiat Ponzi and it hasn't blown up yet, doesn't mean it won't blow up. Oh, it's blowing up in other places besides our privileged yeah. world, right? This is the problem. A lot of the people listening to your podcast right now live in G7 nations that have never experienced the pain that it comes with a fiat currency blowing up. But how about we talk with, to those other 150 nations that are not G7, but they have a fiat currency who have experienced some level of pain. That's what people need to understand. The privileged nations of the world operate in a vacuum, but it's coming. Canada will default within my children's lifetime. And that really pains me but it's only mathematics. It really pains me. It's going to happen. Adjust your risk portfolio accordingly. I couldn't agree more. Uh, we're both in the vacuum. Uh, you in Canada and uh, myself in Australia, people, people just think, oh no, get on the property ladder. It's all good. Uh, we, we haven't seen any defaults in the past 50 years. Meanwhile, you look at countries like Argentina, they've defaulted yeah. three times in the past 20 and I love your I love your style for research, Luke. That's exactly the truth. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just I just hope some takeaways that people can take away from this interview is just because we haven't seen our currencies blow up in the Western world doesn't mean they won't. It's mathematically certain that fiat's will debase, as Greg always so eloquently says. So definitely it's time to start doing your own research. Uh, now, Greg, I suppose before we wrap this one up, I'll take the chance 
uh, to show your amazing article. It's an absolute Bible for bond math. If anyone wants to learn about credit markets, the bond markets, and how Bitcoin fixes the fiat Ponzi, I highly recommend you go and read that one. Where is that listed, Greg? Uh, I have it on a, on a uh, publicly available uh, platform. It's Rockstar Inner Circle. Uh, you can attach it, I hope, to your uh, yep. to your podcast here. I don't have the uh, URL it, it, right here, but the truth is, I wrote that uh, about a year ago because I very quickly realized so many people in the world have no clue how credit markets work relative to equity markets, and everyone thinks they're an equity market investing guru in a bull market where the fed fans the flames of a bull market trust me that's not where you earn your stripes you earn your stripes in a bear market and in a bear market it's understanding credit because credit runs the world okay don't go out and quit your job to be a day trading equity expert before you understand how credit markets work if you become a, an equity trader without understanding credit markets, you're doomed. You shouldn't waste your time or money, but plenty of people do. It's not because I want that to happen. It's because it's a reality. People don't do their homework. Credit runs the world. Credit has a prior claim on the assets of a company in the event of distress. And equity is nothing but the cannon fodder. Yet that's where everyone puts their money because they're such great investors because they understand all of this. Oh boy. Like I don't want to see it happen, but I've seen it happen five times in my career. Stoop, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That was one of my favorite quotes from your paper. I highlighted that one. Um, another good one, actually, I didn't even get to ask you about equity markets and debt markets because uh, before that paper and some of your really good interviews, I didn't even understand how that worked in a distressed situation. Right. The equity is worth zero if the bonds aren't worth 100 cents on the dollar. That's Maybe correct. you can walk us through that one quickly. Yeah, well, look, I don't need to recreate the laws of finance, capital structure, priority of claim. But again, you, na you nailed it. Look, in the event of restructuring, and everything's a process, like, you know, until the restructuring has been declared, meaning the company has met, missed their interest payment obligation or there's some form of default, there's still a hope that the capital structure uh, priority of claims lives without a restructuring event. But very simply, in the event of a restructuring, unless the debt claim on the assets is worth 100% of par or 100% of the parity of the claim on the assets, the equity has zero claim on those assets. How can I lay it out more simply? All you monkeys who are out there investing in equities without understanding where the debt of a company trades, and yes, this is you, AMC and GameStop and all you fucking clowns on Reddit, you're idiots. Yeah, you may be able to corner the shorts and everything like that, but on a global basis, you're a bunch of fucking fools. All right? Call me out. Hit me up. Try and DDoS me or whatever the hell that means. You're a bunch of fucking idiots because priority of claims is written in law in capital structure in the Western civilization. Not together, altogether true in China. We'll see. We have this Evergrande situation that's going to be very interesting to see how that unfolds. It certainly will. And um, Foss, I think you might have just stoked the fire and you might have some more hate mail coming your way. From I'm the, okay uh, with it. You know what? I'm aim. sick of this shit. I tried to come on to your show and I swear to you, I was going to be like, I'm going to be the good Greg Foss. I swear to you, I'm going to be good. But I like your style, Luke, because you're 24 years old and you're telling the truth. So I'm 58 years old. I'm going to tell the truth as well. Keep it coming, mate. We need more people telling the truth in these very critical times. Um, so I will definitely be linking 
um, your amazing paper in the show notes. Thank you. Um, I will be linking the the bite-sized article you wrote in Bitcoin Magazine where Greg lays out the Evergrande situation. Highly recommend everybody go and check that out. Uh, Greg, is there any other places people can find you? I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty incognito because uh, I'm 58. Guys, I just learned how to use my iPhone and I don't even know how to use it properly. So if I have a problem with it, I call up my kids, right? And I'm like, guys, help me with this. Because when I graduated from university in 1986, my undergrad, I had never used a personal computer for any, uh, they existed, but I didn't use them for any of my uh, uh, classes. We used mainframes. And in 1988, we were sort of on the cusp of this, but you guys have to understand how lucky you are to have all this information in your hand. And I'm not quite there yet. I do have a lot of information in my head. And you guys may look at me and say, man, this guy, send him out to pasture. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. All right. I'm good with it. I'll just tell you, I've lived it for 30 years. You're not as smart as you think you are. Perhaps sometimes you're too smart by half. Okay. Don't try and control financial markets. And that is the same thing I would give to the Fed. The Fed trying to suppress natural or free market pricing in capital markets is the most dangerous thing they're doing. Run by people who do not understand the consequences of doing this stuff. So thanks for having me, Luke. It's been awesome. I'm really encouraged by the, uh, the amount of research you did for this podcast i'm very flattered to be a part of your community we're happy to have you mate um and i mean i think you're doing just fine with the technology i i recommend everyone get on twitter and go and follow Foss because he um he's a great he's very entertaining on twitter i'll, pu- I'll put it that way he's always on his uh best behavior on twitter and i think you behaved yourself just fine today on the podcast mate um, my uh, uh my mia culpa my sister's a stand-up comedian quite a good stand-up comedian in canada and uh to the point where i'm trying to compete with her on that basis i i chuckle chuckle i'd never compete with her but uh she uh, she has a lot of guts. Getting up on stage and being funny in front of a very, not all together or always uh, embracing crowd takes a lot of guts. So I'm not trying to be funny on Twitter. I'm trying to tell the truth. And I really admire what you're doing with your podcast as well. So keep up the good work, man. No, I appreciate it, mate. Um, and I think that certainly makes some more sense. That's the first time I've, I've heard you talk about your sister being a comedian. Um, some uh, of the one-liners you shoot off about uh, Steve Hankey, the squid, and uh, Justin Trudeau yeah. failing maths. I, I think it's certainly no, no, funny. You know what? That's all. That's me. That's, uh, but let's focus on the bigger picture. And thanks again. Look, please, 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 listeners, do your homework. It's not about me. It's about my kids. It's not about you. It's about your kids. All right. Uh, This is not a drill. This is extremely serious. And we have the inmates running the asylum in a lot of cases here. Very sad. Please, please, please remember that it's only mathematics. There's one solution and that's Bitcoin. Uh, So thank thank you very much for coming on, Greg. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it been my pleasure luke i look forward to our next chance to talk lovely thank you mate see you guys have a great night have a great night thank you everyone